Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast, Event Design, what it is and how to do it well with Rude Jansen. I'm your host, Tim Woodring. Event design has come into the spotlight lately as the design of events took an abrupt and radical disruption through the onset of the pandemic. At first, it was just holding on and figuring out how to actually produce virtual events, but now, with some expertise in virtual event production and the light at the end of the tunnel for safe gathering at scale, being intentional about your event design is paramount. Well, today's guest could arguably be enshrined as one of the fathers of event design, and in this episode, we discuss a proven process for designing events that actually change behavior and why that's so critical to creating events that bring about your desired change. I think you'll enjoy his way of looking at events, and it may open you up to some new language and consideration of your process of event design. So now, here's the main event. Hey, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Meetings and Events podcast. Uh, here with me today is Ruth Jansen, and um, you. I'm so excited to have today's conversation because I'm a design nerd and you've been design nerding for longer than me and really paving the way. And in events, when you talk about event designs, all roads lead to the event design collective. Um, and so welcome. It's, it's so great to have you. It's a pleasure, Tim, to be on your program. Well, tell me for our listeners, just tell folks a little bit about who you are, what you guys do, uh, and maybe how it all started. Sure. So we got to event design, we being, you know, Rolf Rissen, Dennis Leyer and myself uh, is kind of a triad of design uh, experimenters, I guess, you know, we've been we've been dabbling into many different types of events and kept wondering what makes some events fantastic, what yeah. makes some events mediocre and what makes most events poor at best. Right? Yeah. Um, and many people have developed this kind of sixth sense that when you see a team or when you meet a team for the first time that are going to that are about to do an event or they venture on this adventure of creating an event yeah somehow when you speak to that team you get a sense of whether they're going to be successful or not but what mm. is it that defines whether something works or whether something creates value or not and i think we must have been toying with that thought for over two decades uh, each interesting we combined our thinking we could do two things. We could complain about bad events all day, or we could do something about it. And that's why we came up with this idea of creating sheet music for events, which mm. ends up being called the event canvas, which was embraced by a community of now about 20,000 people and been translated into 16 languages. And a side project got completely out of hand and became what is now <laughs> Design Collective. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Um, and uh, the event canvas right there behind you, right there is, is kind of, that was the origination of it, right? Yeah, we first built a completely different monster. I mean, we our thinking was around, you know, all of the good stuff that had been created already. But if the application is lacking in the daily practice, yeah, if people don't know how to use something, or it's too complicated, then it doesn't get used. And we were particularly inspired by, you know, the work of making things super simple. You know, yeah. Dennis likes to call that hitting a 3d problem over the head with a big hammer, reducing it to a 2d picture. Yeah. Uh, and if you can reduce it to a 2D picture that tells the story from entry to exit behaviors, which is the base driver of value, mm -hmm. then um, you are able to take something that's complex and simplify it. And we were inspired by the work that uh, Alex 
Osterwalder and Yves Pinier had done on the business model canvas, where you can take a business and dissect it onto a single piece of paper. Um, we'd done some work with their team as well when they did an event and they had the deer and headlight look of the event owner, you know, after saying, oh, we're going to do this event and this, that, and the other. And funnily enough, the, the look that Alex had on his face six weeks before his event, when I had lunch with him at APFL in Lausanne here in Switzerland, was that very look that I'd seen so many times on the face of many people who own an event. Hmm. It's that you have an idea in your head about what it is that it's supposed to do, but you find it very hard to articulate to your team uh, what that is. Or to get there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's something we experience a lot um, in the event production process is sometimes we, uh, our clients will say, well, you know, we've got to do this event. You ask them why, and they said, well, because we've done it last year, or we, we did it the year before. So there's not always a, a residual connection with the, why the event began to begin with or what the purpose of the event is. But uh, putting that aside, um, you know, some of the process is that, well, we, we need to kick this event off. So we'll get all the event stakeholders that have decision-making power in a room. And by the nature of doing that, certainly we'll come out with something that is somewhat of a, a, a plan, you know, and, um, and it doesn't always have an, a, someone who's owning the design or the architecture, or do our clients always have the tools to go through the process of consideration of, you know, how, what's even possible as it relates to event design, how, if we wanted to be, be more designerly or to, to think through the process and to go through the, the phases, how would we even do that? You know? And so, um, and as you're, yeah. as you're saying that same, I'm thinking, you know, the language that you need to talk about that is the thing that's missing. Yeah. Right. In other words, you know, how to, like the, the phases or just asking well, the right questions, the kind of words we use to describe these elements, right? So yeah. one of the things that we set out to do when we created the event canvas was to enable a common language between the people that you were just talking about. Yeah. Right? Those so, that have a stake in an event need to be able to articulate at specific points in the creation of the event, what it is that they want from it or what it is that they think others want from it. Right. Right. User centric thinking. We use a lot of, um, because sometimes you don't have the luxury, Tim, I'm, I'm sure with the events that you do, global events, you don't always have the luxury of having all the stakeholders in the room at the same time. Yes, it can be or difficult. getting their attention for that matter. So yeah. very often you have to think on their behalf and empathize with what you think that they are thinking or right. what you think that they are saying and doing, and then create that little blueprint, that little mirror that you can hold up to them. And they can then take your thinking or what you've distilled from what you think they're thinking, hold it up against them, and they can spot the 10 differences, which makes right. it much easier for them to start the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always either easier to respond to something than uh, just start with a blank page, right? And, and that is a process that can create alignment and buy-in. So talk people through the different phases um, of the event canvas and, and the different considerations that you encourage people to take in, in designing their events? Well, first of all, events create, so what's the definition of an event? Because if you look yeah, at Wikipedia, it's important. Find a whole list of what it means to different people, right? It's yep. something different for, for a behavioral scientist or to a um, 
physicist or to a mathematician than it is to a behavioral uh, scientist or to an event person. So our definition of an event is anything that changes behavior for at least two stakeholders. Interesting. Quite a broad definition of, of what an event can be. The ones that we are particularly concerned with here, Tim, are, and probably to many of your listeners, is the type of event that most people find extremely complex and give them a headache, <laughs> which is when there is way more stakeholders than just two. And sometimes the definition of behavior change, of what it is that they want changed in the behavior, it hasn't been articulated yet. Right? So you can do any event and change behavior, but if it's not in the desired direction of change, you're still in trouble. Right. Hmm. So what we do is it's, it's actually three steps. The first step is that we uh, define the change. What's the behavior before? What's the behavior after? And who are the core stakeholders whose behavior we're changing? Because you need to consider them one at a time. Yeah. You simplify it. You take one and you think very egotistically of the event from that person's perspective, from entry to exit. They walk in with a set of pains and a set of expectations before the events. Absolutely. So formulate the entry behavior. Then you go to the exit behavior. How do you want them to walk away from the event? What gains will they have had? And what is their level of satisfaction offset against the expectation? Right? Those six elements is what we call the change. And this could be for two stakeholders or four or six or 12, or we've designed up to 16 stakeholders. And you can just imagine that as you're exploring that, you're really exploring the problem. So you're rolling mm. in the problem to really articulate what change you're designing for. That's critical. Yeah. That's step one. Step two is the frame. And the frame is nothing more, nothing less than all of the design restrictions that you have with regards to the event. How much time does that stakeholder commit? What do they expect in return? What can it cost? What's the expected revenue from that stakeholder perspective? What jobs does the event get done? There's functional jobs, social jobs, emotional jobs, and basic needs that people have. And then as a result of that, what is the promise that the event brings for that respective uh, stakeholder? Hmm. And you as a team, so one of the things, event design is a team sport, it's not a solo sport. What we do is we bring a team of people together, ideally in a live setting, I would say seven people online, that could be five or six. And you get their brains to think about this together. It's very collaborative. Sure. Every brings brings a piece of the input and slowly what you start to do is after defining the change, you frame in the problem with that design frame. Now, once you have that frame set, you go to the third step uh, because you've created that change in frame for each of the stakeholders. So you have that synopsis, you have that summary. Um, we then have something that we call the delta, right? The delta is the actual change you're designing for. That's the design goal. Once you have the delta, as you went through the previous process, many people have ideas that pop up about what you could do. Hmm. Those ideas we sequester into an idea quarantine. Right. You kind of say, hey, that's smart, but I'm going to pin that right. over here. Once we, once we get to the restrictions, the, yep. the types and the delta, we can then bring it back with a framework to say, hey, does this fit? Correct. So the idea quarantine is a place to, it's like a repository of ideas of things you could do, but Nothing is a good or a bad idea until it changes the behavior in the desired direction of change. Right. right? So uh, just because the CEO come up with an idea or the CMO or somebody else that, you know, might represent X value in that company, what we try to do is by putting it in the quarantine, it gets dissociated from the contributor, right? Mm. So people don't remember who brought in what ideas. Right. So they neutralize that. Yeah. It becomes the idea standalone. 
Yeah. yeah, and quarantine, we used to have to explain that that was what they did in the Middle Ages in, in Venice. <laughs> yeah. People on a boat yeah. for 40 days before they were let into the city. Well, Not anymore. Nowadays, <laughs> many people know what a quarantine is, unfortunately. Yep. Yes. Uh, but that's what we do to ideas. We quarantine them, not yeah. because they're infected, but because they might infect your thinking. Absolutely. So once or, or they'll just take everything off course and you and it start spinning and spiraling into this idea. People fall in love with their ideas. You know, right. it's really hard to fall out of love with your ideas unless you have some kind of rationale set for looking at an idea and assess its value. So our rationale is the delta, right? Take the idea, hold it up against the delta. Does it change the behavior for this stakeholder from entry to exit, for this second stakeholder from entry to exit, for this third stakeholder? And if so, do we put it in the middle, in the beginning, at the end of the event, or before the event, or after the event? And now what you have, the ideas become the building blocks for what we call the prototyping phase. That's the mm. third phase. Yep. So prototyping is all about order and sequence of ideas um, and of things that you could do in order to change the behavior of that respective set of stakeholders. And because that's a fairly complex, uh, what we call lateral thinking process, the first part I described, the change in the frame is very sequential. It's very structured. Every step of the way, just doesn't have enough time, right? It's by design that you feel a little bit rushed through the process. And we have a facilitation kit that helps people with roll cards that in that team, you can actually go through that fairly easily because it's sliced up like right. the problem is sliced up into very small little chunks. Yep. And every step doesn't take longer than about a minute or sometimes three minutes. But as you go through that, you have all of those contents to create the story of what it is that it's supposed to do. Often the people find creating the story the hardest part. Hmm. Well, this process creates the story right. from multi-stakeholder perspectives. And then the prototyping, which is that lateral thinking, is really about, <clears throat> we always like to compare it to, the, to a parachute jump. You know, it's like you're, huh. you're safely up at level flight. You know, you've taken yep. off, you've got your seatbelt on, you're comfortable, you're sipping on your champagne. Yep. And all of a sudden, somebody jerks open the door and says, we're going to do a parachute jump, right? It's completely unexpected. <laughs> you have to jump out. All we guarantee is that you land safely, but in you the restricted amount of time that you are doing your free fall and find your parachute uh, loop, um, the team, usually in teams of two or three, rapid prototype what the solution could be of getting from entry to exit behavior for those different stakeholders. Interesting. And that's a very exciting process because once everything's really well prepped, the prototyping usually doesn't take longer than anywhere between 13 sure. and 17 minutes per prototyping round. And the diversity of thinking from multiple teams of two or three that then come back and debrief to each other enriches the options and the yeah. types of prototypes that you're considering. Now, again, here, everybody falls in love with their prototype. Sure. Right. So right. the fact that it, it's not a competition, it's just yeah. creating options. And right. then you reduce it back to the syrupy goodness of you know, two or three or four prototypes that you're ready to present your, to your event owner based on the analytics of systematically analyzing what the stakeholders need and then probably the team comes up with a recommendation of well based on our analysis and what we think we think this prototype might work best for this year or for yeah. next quarter we might consider sure. this one or whatever right yeah. that's in a nutshell the process well it's brilliant and you know as as working as a facilitator especially in design thinking things i think you know that just some of those simple steps of you know hey let's you know i would say, let's, let's bucket these, you know, let's move them somewhere else. We're going to store them. So people don't feel like frustrated because they've contributed something and it's not seen. 
Um, but it can help people stay on track and then also um, learn to decouple necessarily from their ideas and it being always about, hey, let's, let's bring this to reality, but more so, hey, let's go through the process because there is, there's value in the process and it's intentional. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that I um, think is interesting and, and actually how I came about um, being exposed to the event design collective to begin with, as I was, you know, as I was on social media and I was hearing um, reading and, and things like that, there's so much talk today about event design um, or even event strategy. And, you know, I, I think strategy can be a funny word to me because sometimes I, I'll hear someone say something like, oh, well, you know, let's, let's approach this meeting strategically. And I, I think, well, why wouldn't you be doing things strategically to begin with? If you're setting off on a course and you have no plan and, and in mind or measure of what success looks like, which is how I would define strategy from a high level, then you should probably consider doing that always, uh, being strategic always, or meetings should, we should consider, hey, what's the plan? What's an action, actionable measure of it? But it's surprising that that's not always how people go about doing things. And so we're, we're seeing, I think, between the certified event designer certification process, there's uh, new things for virtual event design certifications or event strategist certifications. But I think all of it really, it's good because there, what I see is that because of the disruption of COVID, there's the design of events had to change. There was a force change. And, and that resulted in more consideration of how we design events, especially how do you do a virtual event? That's where it started. Now we're into how do we do virtual events that are actually engaging and that actually have some goals and we can measure, et cetera. And so I'd be interested to hear from you kind of what you're seeing as a whole kind of macro as our industry and where you see that now and where you see that going. So the first thing I would question, Tim, is are we an industry, right? Hmm. Um, somebody, um, I think it was Joe Pine who, who said that uh, in a conversation we had talking about the experience economy, you know, is yeah. the events industry, is that like the breakfast or the lunch industry, right? So Interesting. It's like what, what's, what's the function? What's the, you know, what, what, what keeps it together? What makes it yeah. fall apart? Yeah. Does anybody miss it? Right. I think that's mm -hmm. one of the core things like, you know, companies are crucial when if they stop existing, somebody else would say, hey, now you've changed my life forever because now I can't do what I'm what I want to do or how I want yeah. to do it. Yeah. So the sense of purpose there is critical. Now, one of our missions is to spread this language of event design, but the opposite truth is to rid the world of mediocre events. Mm -hmm. right? Now, one of the most effective events in the past, well, as far as I can recollect, um, you know, three major changes in my life. One of them was the introduction of the internet. Second was the mobile phone. And the third one was COVID, right? Uh, all three were pretty significant events because they changed our behavior dramatically. Yeah. COVID basically wiped out all live events that were taking place because they were now in the basic needs, you know, critical factor of safety. Sure. So no events took place, or at least no events in the way that live events took place, um, you know, in 2020 and beyond. Uh, until today, we're slowly starting to see what's what's happening. Yep. So this low-touch economy that has changed our behaviors uh, technically has dramatically impacted a lot of what the events industry might, you know, associate itself with. Um, however, 
organizations, companies, and uh, you know NGOs, governments, they all have, you know, they don't have a change in the jobs that need to be done, right? Sure. They even have more jobs to be done: functional jobs, social jobs, emotional jobs, and the basic needs. And all of a sudden, kind of the you know the the magnifying lens has been put on top of it, and now they're scrambling to figure out how do we change this? You know, how do we create behavior changing things? You know, let's yeah. call them events. Um, and how do we how do we deliver those? How do we design those? How do we strategize what we need and what we don't need? And I think this is you know when you're talking about strategy, it's all about um, you know it's it's a word that's used a lot, like the word innovation, right? Mm -hmm. And they ended up meaning nothing anymore. Mm -hmm. and so I think we have to change the language, right? Mm -hmm. So if the word doesn't, if, if the word becomes hollow, we have to, you know, we have to find ways of making sense of what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and getting back the to the same root idea, the same principle, but uh, coming at it from a different way so people actually yeah. can understand it. Yeah. So, you know, whenever, but when somebody says, oh, what's the objective of this event? We have a big red button and we go, you know, wrong question. Anybody that asks that question to any event owner is setting up for failure, not for success. Mm. Because your event owner will not have the answer. And the simple reason is there is no answer. An event does not have an objective. It's stakeholders that go to an event that have behavior changes that they're aiming for. It's good. So yep. the wording we use is, you know, an organization has an overarching aim. That's the bigger thing they're trying to do on the purpose of the company. Yep. On the long term. And events are pivotal moments of change that are very tangible on the road to that overarching aim. Yes. And in service and to that purpose. Of, yeah. And a lot of change happens between the events and some of the change happens at the event. Right. Or some of the change happens because there is an event. Example. We do uh, a lot of training and a lot of different things, you know, event design certificate programs, et cetera, et cetera. And from time to time, we write a book. Four <laughs> years ago, we wrote the event design handbook, which was, um, you know, um, a painful process for the three of us as authors to go through to actually deliver a book, right? Yeah. Knowing that 75% of our audience was female, uh, we then also had a designer, uh, because we're three guys, we said, okay, we need a designer to actually make this user centric and to think what is it that will be our reader, what's going to resonate of the reader in terms yeah. of the look and feel and how this message gets across. Uh, last year, we decided to write a book, not about COVID or the impact of COVID, but we decided to write a book about all the conversations we've had with the language of event design and how people are using it in the conversations with event owners. Mm. That book is called Design to Change, Elevating Your Ability to Look and Act Beyond the Now. And in order for us to deliver the alpha of mm. the book, we created an event, right? So mm. we got our tribe together sure. because we yeah. knew when they were together and if we hadn't finished our book, we'd be in trouble. So sometimes an event is a great way to create a pivotal moment in time. To uh, yeah. Some time to sometimes I, I refer to that as forced function, right? Yeah. yeah. You have an event and because of that, you're going to be accountable to that thing. And yeah, absolutely. That's when it's, when it's visible. That's when yep. somebody's reputation is at stake. That's when we need to sort our act out. That's when we need to you know, develop the budgets for next year. That's when we absolutely. Yeah. So events are very strong mechanisms of change are actually, um, we actually call them blood samples of the DNA of an organization. Hmm. Show me any organization rich. event and I'll tell you about their culture. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You immerse yourself for two, three days. I'm sure you and your team experience that all the time. Yep. Not just in the creation of the event, but the actual event gives you a very good blueprint of what an organization represents.
Absolutely. DNA, their culture, their values. So yeah. The blood sample, right? Mm -hmm. We try to look at what's the, what's the what's the um, besides the blood sample, you know, what's the what's the pace of change, right? What's what's the heartbeat of that organization? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the amplitude of change that they're tolerating over time? What's the frequency at which they hold their events? From mm -hmm. which altitude do you look at the problem? And how do you understand it in perspective to what the overarching aim of the organization is? Mm. And now if you are starting to have these conversations using that kind of wording and this kind of language, yeah. and if you are the master at developing the compass of change, right? how do you navigate through that territory from event to event or seeing multiple events in a row and understanding the past, analyzing the current and designing the future, what this now gives you is a, is a compass. And if you're the compass creator, then the captain is going to pay attention. Right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's all in, let's say, how you talk about what you do and how you do that and the facts of the outcome, right? It's not about the process. It's about the outcome. Mm -hmm. If you can have conversations Which is about outcomes, mm -hmm. yeah, about the actual outcomes of what an event does, and if you can have that in the right way, address needs instead of just the wants, right? Which is one of the chapters in this new book. Um, it's really about, you know, event design handbook was kind of the language mm -hmm. and the conversation with the event owner is the yeah. design to change book. Yep. To me, they exist as companion books and this is how we've written them. They're not, you know, prequels or sequels to each other. They're different. They're different ways of looking at the same problem. Your event owner is not going to geek out on the process of event design because they couldn't care less. Um, they don't they don't care what you use. I was just talking this afternoon to a corporate in Germany, um, somebody that became a certified event designer, trained their team. And this logistics company, he literally said, I um, in German, it's Verankung in, in concern, right? I've anchored the thinking in my organization because he was able to deliver change and make it visible beyond events using this methodology. Nobody cared mm. about the methodology. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, when it was being applied, they could see that the results were very different from if it was not applied. And again, this is kind of the opposite truth thing, right? He, he could have spent two days uh, scuba diving or skiing and coming back with the same outcome. Nobody cares about what you did. Yep. They care about the outcome. What happens is if you do it systematically and if it works for any team in any company, in any organization, in any country, in any language, and it happens to produce better award-winning events or yeah. behavior change that is significant, noticeable, and anchored in the organizations, mm -hmm. that's when people start paying attention. Right. And I think that's what we've enabled people to do with this. Organizations like the IOC or, you know, uh, over at Google or people at Bayer or other organizations are using this um, because they feel that need to have a process. If your CFO would not have a process to prepare the accounts, prepare P&Ls, submit it to the IRS, and have it validated for your stakeholders, everybody would point to their head and say, you know, what the hell are you doing? Whilst in events, for many years, we have not had a process to come to a specific result. We're yeah. spending obscene amounts of money and we leave it to serendipity whether it works or not. And, and it's guesswork. Yep. Is that, you know, is that sustainable? I don't think or so. Or responsible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think a period like COVID brings that sorefully to the surface really goes to show that those that are ahead of the pack and know how to do this can go back to their compass and recalibrate what it is they're mm -hmm. doing and how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. If you haven't, you're not in pole position, you're scrambling, you're at the end of the end of the race and you're, you know, you get, you get caught up in the, in the crashes. Yeah.
Yeah. One of the things we've been talking about lately is, is encouraging people to throw out their events playbook. You might've said, Hey, in 2019, we had these four events and we've had those four events for 20 years. Well, maybe now there's an opportunity to reconsider that. And I think it would be a shame if we just went back to things without necessarily taking this event of COVID and allowing it to change us in the ways that it can for the better and create a catalytic opportunity to reconsider your events as a whole, you know, because now I, I believe there's this whole spectrum of what we might consider events, especially as you define them as gathering multiple stakeholders and, and creating change, right? I mean, anything from a potential uh, senior leadership meeting could be an event or a webinar, a town hall, and there's this spectrum that continues to scale up and maybe the stakeholders who attend it all the way up into a, a citywide or, con, or a massive convention. But all of those really should be seen on the spectrum and in kind of the annual life cycle and all connected, as you were mentioning, to a company's purpose as well, which I think is really rich and they should be into that. Well, let's go back to conventions. I mean, nothing is conventional in, in the current world. Yeah. World, right. So uh, we're, you know, there's, there's something in the wording in itself, but actually it's the layers underneath, right? So if you look at the research, we've done research in this quite some time back already and what, how different virtual or hybrid events are compared to live events or how they create behavior change. And if you consider the 11 functions of communications, you know, we're happy to share those links to that research so you can take a look at it close, but there's things like. <clears throat> and just consider that the dimensions, right, in its width, like anonymity, attention, sense of belonging, scalability of the reach, right, the share of voice, search, oral versus written, decision making, networking, interaction and depth, like those dimensions of communication, mm -hmm. and how are 50 frame per second, you know, video yeah. camera and, you know, whatever hurts, uh, 24-bit microphone picks up what we do. Yep. Now we could slow down time and we could increase time or, or speed up time. Joe Pine likes to call that the design of time. And I think that's what we do, right? We can design time and we can design change over time. Mm. And all we need to think about is place and time as two variables we can, we can control, right? The event can be at the same place at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. At a different place at the same time. Yep. Um, at the same place at a different time, time at a different time, or at a different place at a different time. Those two mechanics, and I could add two more axes to this to think about. This is what you use to prototype and think about your options. And just because we have more restrictions makes us more creative. Right? Yeah, so absolutely. Are, are welcome rocket fuel for any creative process. Sure, it's boundaries. It's, yeah. Design. So mm -hmm. let's embrace them. Let's celebrate them, and let's design the heck out of them because yeah. I think we're we're being given a gift that many see as a, as a curse, but, and again, you know, I fully respect that, you know, when lives are endangered, when, you know, our, Absolutely. our health and welfare is endangered, that's a very, it's a very difficult thing to deal with. You know, people have sure. to deal with loss and, um, and all of those things lead to the fact that change is then imminent, right? Yeah. It's uh, outside. It's upon us. Yeah. yeah. But it's kind of the same thing that if you were talking to a musician, you know, a concert pianist mm -hmm. in uh, 1981, right? If you would talk to Vladimir Horowitz or somebody that, you know, is a fantastic piano player, you know, do you feel threatened by Herbie Hancock, who in 1984, you know, explains to a bunch of Sesame Street kids um, what digital music is going to bring to you? And is it going to jeopardize your ability to play music? No. Right. It enriches it, right? I mean, 
but you have to stretch your brain, right? right? You have to, you, I mean, in, in 1992, I couldn't imagine what the internet would do. And I remember going over lunch break, you know, with a colleague of mine, we went to explore the internet together because we were yeah. kind of scared to do it alone, right? At first. <laughs> like you would go to the internet cafe and you would right. over lunch, we would like yep. spend 20 minutes on a browser. And we, you know, I mean, look at where we are today, you know? Right. Uh, you're, it's changed every you're facet of life. 10, 12,000 miles away from where I am in Switzerland. Yeah. You know, we're having a conversation in real time, which is being recorded, can be repurposed and scaled through many different channels, thanks to this thing that half of the world population is connected to called the internet. It's pretty phenomenal. Where will we be five or 10 years from today? I think what we need to do is, you know, embrace these options. Also, sometimes you need to be forced into something to really yeah. change, right? Yeah. I mean, sure. we were doing hybrid events 10 years ago with the event camp series, you know, and all the geeks were geeking out on the options and all of that, but nobody was really paying attention unless you kind of see that depth of application. Um, but what you were doing is building digital dexterity yeah, exactly. Yep. To to be able to deal with what this means in the future for if you do need not just if you do need it, but when you need it, that you are readier than others and can just move quicker. Yeah, that's survival of the species, but also survival of an industry or survival of, you know, the raison d'être, the reason of being for any, any organization for that matter, for what people care about, you know, legacies created through 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 addressing those needs, and not mm. just satisfying the wants of today. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you want a better platform with a fancier, you know, picture in picture thing with an even bigger microphone and, you know, better green screen? Maybe not. Maybe right? if you can pay you may, for it, sometimes yeah. you may not need it. But the reason, you know, the reason behind it is what you need to dig into. So it's those needs that we need to be better at exploring. And just to, you know, th that process is actually super fun. We've noticed that if event design teams have fun designing an event, the event is usually very good. Yeah. If the design process is painful and doesn't and doesn't lead to fun, right? If that's happening in your organization with your team, you might be doing something wrong because it can be a lot of fun. And when it's fun, you're actually getting everybody on the same page because you need that village to pull off the event in the first place. Yeah. Not one person can build an event. Yeah. It's impossible. Yep. Unless it's a podcast initiated by one and it needs to influence one other person. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, Rude, this has been uh, really brilliant. You've left me thinking of a couple of things that my brain's still chewing on in the background of, are we an industry? You know, and I think that that's fascinating because now we're seeing, you know, uh, events live in a lot of different places within organizations. It could be in HR, it could be in uh, now in technology with virtual events. We've seen that happen at times. Uh, it could be in marketing, could be its own events um, bucket altogether. And, um, and I think that Especially that's part of like the analog, analog or digital and digital version of what the internet represents, right? It's a network mm. of networks of people. Yeah. But we don't have an operating system, right? Right. We're missing, we're missing the, we're missing the, you know, um, how do you, we send packets from left to right? That's what we're missing. Mm. Hmm. And if you think about it that way, you know, our, our friends at the Internet Society who created the Internet are now thinking about the interplanetary Internet and how to connect the planets, right? Because yeah. we're going to be on Mars and all of that. Yeah. Well, that's how we have to think about events, right? Hmm. What's our operating system? You know, what's our protocol? How do we communicate to each other? What language do we use? How do we connect networks, right? Instead of creating moats and bridges, what's the scenario in the future? And how do we, because events, in my view, 
uh, is basically the basic humanity function of people wanting to connect to other people to exchange yeah, what together they know mm -hmm. together in some way or, or other yeah and so our networks of networks that's called events is actually kind of you know it's like an internet but then in, in a very human fashion mm -hmm. so we better think about it carefully before it you know it bites us in the neck mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really good. And uh, I think now is the time to do that. And so um, I, I hope that we see more people uh, digging into event design and going through the process, especially now. It's a, it's a great time to reconsider things from a fresh perspective. And, yeah. you know, as we move into a time where it is where we can be responsible and it is safe to gather, I think we have more options because, as you'd mentioned, there's more digital dexterity. There's more, there's more digital capacity and, and capability. And so uh, we have a, a broad set of the world's a large part of society who is now, has new capabilities now to attend things digitally, to consider um, different possibilities of events and the formats and, and things like that. So we've got event designers have more tools. They've got more options. There's more formats. And so uh, it's definitely a time to reconsider that. Thank you so much for joining us uh today and um, we're gonna have to do a part two to this because i want to get back into some of these things so <laughs> we really appreciate your time maybe maybe two things to get people started right because i think yeah um, talk is only talk unless it leads to action that's right? great so what i'd love to challenge your listeners to is um see if you can download the event canvas at eventcanvas.org and take a first stab at defining some of the behavior changes that you've yeah. done at your past event Sometimes it's much easier to analyze something you've recently done or done yeah. in the past. Yeah. Because that is the baseline for thinking about the future, right? So mm. it's under Creative Commons. People can download it for free. It's in multiple languages. So feel free to explore uh, because I think, you know, like, like you're saying, Tim, um, uh, the more we learn language, the better the conversations are going to be, the more mm. fun we're going to have designing equals just better events at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. More high quality time spending of people in similar places at the same time. Yeah. And then you get to see your mission come to life. Exactly. How yeah. cool is that? Right. And it's really cool. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Tim, for the opportunity. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Ruud Jansen. If you haven't already, please subscribe and stay tuned for more episodes of the Meetings and Events podcast, where I host thought leaders like Rude and discuss best practices related to meetings and events. In the meantime, we wish you all the best. Be well, seek good, and bye for now.